For eight long years, the Queensland Labor government have sat on their hands or tinkered at the edges of youth crime policy, rearranging the furniture on the deck of the Titanic, while the problem turned into a crisis they can no longer propagandise or gaslight their way out of. Voters from southeast Queensland to far north Queensland and Mount Isa in the west are frustrated to the point of contemplating taking the law into their own hands after the constant failure of lawmakers. Serial juvenile offenders are left without parents or parliament willing to apply serious consequences after multiple appearances before magistrates, leaving some police wondering why they even bother. Joining me in this episode is Robbie Catter, who has announced an innovative, common-sense policy for real consequences and which promises positive outcomes in the lives of minors. Why is the Labor government refusing to even trial it? What have they got to lose, except an election in about 12 months? I'm Dave Pello, and you're watching The Church and State Show. May all that you stand for, and that we stand for, be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Uh, Robbie, thanks so much for coming on the Church and State Show today. Thanks, Dave. It's It's a real pleasure, mate. I love the work you do. Queensland has the worst youth crime statistics in the state, uh, but that may be just uh, you know a statistic. What does that actually mean, and what does that actually look like in the lives of Queensland voters? So I, I think the the you might say um, immaterial impact of all this is that the fear and livability impacts and throughout Queensland now. So. Um, you know, it, it it's hard to quantify, but when people are no longer feeling safe to go down the shops, um, grandma's doesn't want to, won't go to the shops by herself anymore. Um, you, you know, you're thinking twice about letting the kids go out at night or ride their push bike to the shop. Whatever the case may be, there is just a severe impact on the way that we live our lives and that um, fear that eats away at people. And that's a real thing. It's hard to measure. And um, Labor and government's done a really good job of making, pretending that that's insignificant or it's just a beat up. But I can tell you from someone that gets first-hand experience, um, I'll get an ugly front row seat to a lot of the direct impacts on constituents in one of the worst affected places in Queensland, which is Mount Isa. And they're horrible stories. And, they, they, you know, um, it's way beyond just being scared in the house. There's a mixture of uh, real anger. And, um, you know, the amount, of, the amount of people that I would have said are pretty peaceful, sort of non-confrontational, that have said things to me like, you know, if I get cancer or if I get a death sentence, I'll get a gun and shoot some of these people. Or, um, you know, I'll, I'll go down and start bashing people if I get a chance or just stuff I never would have thought would come out of their mouth. And that's it's horrible to hear, but um, that's the sort of 
that's the extreme range of emotions that sets off when you don't deal with the problem. And um, we're well and truly in that place now. And I think the government's starting to get a bit of a taste of that. It, uh, I mean, vigilantism is, is terrible and uh, never acceptable, but it's also predictable when those charged with enforcing the law and upholding the peace uh, completely fail in their ability to do so. The trust, uh, the social license that the government enjoys to effectively police and maintain uh, a livable um, state uh, is lost and eroded, uh, which leads to a proportionate increase in people taking the law into their own hands, which neither you nor I endorse, encourage or approve of, but it is a wake-up call, like you said, for the, for the government to start doing something about it. Now, they've been um, faffing around this uh, obvious problem and increasing problem for many years now, uh, many years, and the problem's not getting any better. Uh, what are the solutions they have tried and are trying um, before we start talking about uh, your proposal? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, what they call vigilantism, I mean, I know this isn't part of your question, but I just would like to respond to that because, I mean, if you threw a number of it, it'd be a, it'd, um, I'm not even sure you'd make a whole number, you know, would even make um, single digits and percentage of population that are sadomasochists that love violence and welcome confrontation like of that nature. Um, most people don't like... <laughs> approaching confrontational situations, let alone criminals. And, um, you know, that is just, that's the extreme position people have um, been put in from the lack of action. So um, I just say that. Uh, if there's a man in a house with a, a young wife and young kids or elderly parents uh, and he feels like there is no other option to defend his family, he is going to consider things that make him uncomfortable because, I mean, how could you live with yourself if you let your family get hurt by some random thugs breaking into your house? You, you would do the things that you really, really don't want to do and shame on the government for letting it get that far. Well, I think that's the only, you know, rationale you could put behind it. I, I, I do get really annoyed when the government, you know, they, um, I think one of the comments was made at Rockhampton when they all went to the fellow's house that had, um, well, I'm not sure that... All the circumstances that surrounded it, but he'd um, it was a vigilante group, and they went to the yard, um, and the police were there in big numbers. And the comment was made, "We wish we got this sort of response when we were being attacked by these same people." So, you know, I think that's a good summary of um, where we are in this situation. But when you say that, what has the government done? I think um, I think it's fair to say the government's being dominated by the left and the civil libertarians. Um, and I, there's actually a lot of rationale in their approach with saying, like, no, no humans are bad human, we rehabilitate them, get in early. That's all, um, I actually buy into that. I think there's a lot of rationale in that. But there is a point of practicality where you hit a, you hit a point, and um, I was only having a discussion on this today with someone. It's not that I disagree with the rationale of that, but the practicality, same Mount Isa, so we've got um, 30, 50 bad kids. You do not have enough effective resources in this state that's going to kiss and cuddle those kids back to um, being useful members of society and being able to 
exist, you know, live in a home in town where they won't steal cars and won't misbehave and punch kids in the face at school and, you know, all sorts of violent acts that uh, we don't tolerate. There is not enough social workers to sit with all those kids and their extended families to bolt around and let alone doing that for Townsville, Cairns, you know, all these hotspots. So you need um, you need to approach it from a different angle because um, you just you don't have the resources to bolt around and fix every family and fix every kid and and rehabilitate them. But they're just stuck on that same track where they're just saying, um, let's just keep throwing more resources at it. Let's let's just keep trying to support the kids and send them to school. And and, and a lot of that sounds good in theory, but I can assure you on the ground it's not working. And certainly I sort of speak with confidence here, but. Apparently, uh, it's not working anywhere else in the state either. I actually think that it's a little bit bleeding heart, hippie, beatnik, kumbaya rubbish that there's no such thing as a bad person. Um, I'd like to think that was a coherent rationale, but the existence of police, the existence of parliaments and legislation uh, basically is built on the premise that humans need boundaries uh, because our inclination is not to good character but to bad character. Uh, I did a presentation last week basically talking about freedom is not something that comes naturally to people. There are many societies and cultures which are incapable of freedom. Uh, American experiments in transplanting freedom to the Middle East have failed abysmally. Uh, when the British uh, withdraw from various jurisdictions in the subcontinent and, and Africa, uh, they fall into corruption and they've, they've been shown democracy and self-government and been uplifted and, and yet uh, cultural problems uh, mean that some people are not mature enough for freedom and that can be on an individual level as well as a national so, uh, social level. Uh, so I think the, the reality, and, and this is where your solution, which we're going to get to shortly, is actually genius, is that these kids have not been taught how to be good citizens. They've not been taught how to develop good character uh, and, and actual genuine virtue, not virtue signalling, but morality and uh, a sense of sobriety about how to use freedom, the freedom that we want to give them and the freedom that they deserve in the dignity of their humanity uh, is a skill that needs to be taught. And the very obvious thing that's going on right here is A, uh, people need to be taught how to use freedom. Uh, when they just let gone to seed, uh, they run amok and, and create chaos. And, and this is identical to the problems that happened 100 years ago in Bolshevik Russia. Uh, children went chaotic and were causing all kinds of massive social problems because the family structure was eroded in that culture by communism. <clears throat> And they had to undo some of that social engineering, which they tinkered with. Uh, but right here, we're again going to be commonly talking about breakdowns in, in family. Some of the data I've seen in your policy is that more than half of these kids are not engaged in any kind of education or training. They're not in school. Uh, nearly 10% of them are victims of fetal alcohol syndrome. That's a pretty good indication of poor parenting. More than uh, nearly a third of them are in unstable housing and accommodation um, settings. And more than half of them, this is the tragic one, more than half of them are exposed to domestic or family violence. 
Now, what we have to implement here is the last course, and I'm a big, big believer in parental rights, um, but what your policy of this uh, relocation sentencing is genius for is the intense kind of, uh, you're going to call it therapeutic parenting and counselling and, and other things like that, um, but it is parenting. Uh, what they actually need is role models and teachers who remove them from these bad toxic influences and environments that they've been brought up in uh, socially and, and familiarly and, and actually try and give them some long-term, at least six months uh, worth of, of training. Let's actually move to the policy now. I've, I've um, rabbited on a fair bit, but I'm actually um, maybe it's a bit triggered uh, because I think it is a, a bleeding heart sentiment that everybody's good. And I think it's a proven false um, premise, just by the way we structure society, um, but also by the results. I mean, left to their own devices, these kids uh, are not. Um, and, and look, there's been lots of abuse and trauma in their lives, which which they can partially blame this for. Um, so let's get into the details, um, unless you want to respond to my little tirade on um, everybody's fundamentally good. Yeah, I'm not sure to respond to that, but I... I, I really appreciate your comments on the freedoms thing um that resonates with me i think um um my colleague nick domino was said um coined the phrase uh, this morning saying it, it, it's like pouring concrete if you don't have the form work there it'll go everywhere but you need some rules and boundaries for these kids and they're begging for it um you know it's interesting an interesting observation i've made is um Oh, so we had a the Australian Defence Force sent um, one of the Aboriginal um, families from Townsville, Smallwoods, I think it's Lee Smallwood, came out to Mount Isa and we are talking about um, um, opportunities for in the Defence Force and for the Aboriginal kids out here. And, and um, you know, some of the hardcore, what I'd say, inverted commas activists in Mount Isa and the lefties had never, you know, they'd short circuit their brain sort of listening to because they're there saying, you know, bloomin' I send these kids to Defence Force, a great thing for them. You know, put the kids in the army and the amount of Aboriginal parents or inverted commas elders I'd have in my office in Mount I saying the same thing. You know, what these kids need, send them out to the, get them a prescription, um, conscription, put them in the army. And they're the same people that, down in Canberra and Brisbane, they're saying, oh, these people want a voice and they want cultural solutions. And I think, well, that's not what I get when I'm in my office, um, which makes, you know, makes me probably a lot braver to talk about this stuff, Dave, with a bit of freedom from my end because um, I know what they're telling me and pretty confident that they want similar outcomes that we want. They know kids need these boundaries and that, um, you know, just letting them work it out for themselves and trying to find this stuff it sounds good, but, um, you know, the, the one really bankable thing you said is there's a lot of hippies and do-gooders that um, dominate the space here and, and um, they've had it their way for too long and we're living the experience of what their solutions are. That's right. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan said that um, uh, we didn't inherit freedom and we won't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It actually needs to be taught to them and, and, and handed on. Uh, or it will be lost. Um, I compare freedom to, in my speech last week, I compared freedom to a musical instrument. Give me a guitar, a piano, a drum, a trumpet, um, and freedom 
and it's I'm going to make a racket. <laughs> it's going to be painful to listen to me and to be around me when I have freedom with that instrument. Uh, so what I actually need is thousands of hours of practice and hundreds of hours of training and instruction. And uh, maybe after a decade, I'll be good enough to listen to. Um, it's the same with freedom. You've got freedom and what you can do with freedom might be quite ugly and destructive if you're left to your own devices with it. But if you're loved, then you'll be taught about the disciplines of how to use that instrument. In this case, in this metaphor, we're talking about freedom. Um, so what's the concept with relocation sentencing? Uh, why do you think relocation sentencing is going to be uh, at least part of a significant solution to the youth crime crisis we have in Queensland? Yeah, I'm glad you wisely emphasised part of because um, this is not set and forget, plug and play. Um, you know, uh, it's this is a part of the solution, but very practical. I think Dad came up with the concept about seven years ago. I don't know who he's talking to, um, um, but yeah, it was uh, first Australian up here that he he'd said. I think they call it Bujega, Bujega or something. The which was, you know, their banishment from wherever he was from. And um, and you thought, well, it, you, you know, you always feel a bit safer because um, no one's going to pull the race card on it if it's Aboriginal man telling you this is what we did or, you know, so it's um, that's been a lot of our style in politics is, you know, something that makes sense but getting the right endorsement from the right people. And we just started saying it seven years ago that best thing to do, these kids send them out bush and we... Um, we put some sort of principal positions down, but um, and everyone you'd meet, it just kept getting strong endorsement from. Um, we were canvassing it through, you know, all our dealings, and you know, um, as a politician, you meet thousands of people each year, and you keep um, road testing the policy, and then we put it to a formal policy, and and um, and we had a really big week um, last week when we released it to the public, and because there's such a strong appetite, probably the timing was right. Everyone's so fed up with it all and uh, desperate for a solution. Yeah, so we thought we owed it um, to the government, the public, to sort of try and put something more formal together, which we're not really, you know, minor parties aren't always built for that. Like we don't have the, the resources that the, the two major parties have uh, to mm -hmm. develop um, detailed policy. But we we did that and um, and uh, my colleague Nick Domeno played a lead role in that. And... Um, I just so basically, you know, it's just saying that at the at the moment the magistrates have two alternatives: they can send them back on the street, bail conditions, and or send them to the youth detention centres, uh, Cleveland Bay or the one down south. And um, everyone mm -hmm. up here in North Queensland goes to Cleveland Bay detention centre. Half of them are saying, "Good, um, that's where I was intending to go." <laughs> like, you know, I get beaten up at home. It's you know, um, you know, if I if I get a job, they wow. steal the money off me. If I do it, you know, everything's. Bad either. I can go to Cleveland Bay or my, my mates are there. I can learn some new criminal tricks. You know, all we know is that there's a lot of kids that get, um, you know, back on the streets pretty quick stealing cars and they've done, you know, two or three cars before they get away. And, um, you know, so we, we believe and, and, we've you know, this has been discussion with magistrates over the years too, is saying giving them another option where they can say um, you're not going to Cleveland Bay where, a lot of the time they're preempting that they're hoping that the magistrate says that and they won't be saying you go back into resi care or you know foster care or back to your 
grandparents or whoever he is living with at the moment, they'll be saying, you're going to Urundanji up the Northern Territory border for the next 12 months. And at that point, we feel that's going to be a consequence for that kid. And perhaps the first time where they've been um, metaphorically slapped across the face by the law saying, Here's, this is something I wasn't expecting. This sounds like a bit of a consequence. Yep. And you're not going to be there with 100 people, other kids. You're going to be there with 10 or 20. So we, we, we're going to deliberately split, split you up from your peer groups, which is, that's very realistic because the magistrates know these kids and know, you know, who's who in the zoo. So they can quite effectively split the family groups or friends groups up where they're bad influence. And that's now the best possible platform I think you can conceive of uh, to try and turn that kid's life around, try and give them some skills, say you can have a job in life, but you've got to do this and this. That's a plow. And I have seen that work, Dave. I've been out to some remote schools before, one in particular at Urundanji, in fact, where um, the kids, and one of them was the kid that burnt a police station down in Mount Isa, and he was a perfect kid out there. Um, and the, the, the school principal there was a kid, a guy from the Gold Coast, said, mate, they're great out here. There's no phones. Um, they've got strict parents um, looking after them here. They were foster parents, but they were strict. I teach them and they've got no phones. They're chasing goanna and wallaby quite literally on the weekend and they love it and they're happy. And you know how much that was costing the Queensland taxpayer? Nothing, <laughs> nothing above what you normally pay for them to be in foster care and at school in Mount Isa or Townsville, anywhere else. Cost us nothing. And, uh, and I thought, well, why can't we replicate that? Why can't we set up 10 or 20 of these around the state where they, you know, they take 10 or 20 kids and, um, you still have the problem of what do you do after that 12 months. So we've said a mandatory 12 months. So um, a big problem, there's a lot. There's, a, there's probably a handful of good programs you could look at in Western Queensland, perhaps along the coast as well, where, yeah, they've engaged kids, pulled them back around and started to turn their life around. But the hard thing is always how do you get the kid in the first place because you've got disengaged kids and unless you're going to deliver that, program in Cleveland Bay Detention Centre, which is not a good, we've proven, is not a good platform to work with the kids, you're going to be knocking on their door, asking them to kindly participate in a program, you know, come and learn some bush skills, we'll take you out bush tomorrow or next week, what do you reckon the chances of anyone, um, there's some highly competent people that can engage kids at that level, but you don't, it, that is just completely unrealistic to voluntary get these heavily disengaged kids, some of them are you know, pretty violent, pretty angry, trying to engage them voluntary basis, forget about it. Like, that's nuts. you got to, you got to force them out for 12 months where they're forced to. And uh, and what do you and I do, Dave, sometimes if you're trying to clear your mind, you want to get away from what you go at bush, you go to a remote thing to experience that serenity and, um, and try and clear your head. Uh, that's where the answer is for these kids. In uh, the church and state ministry, what we're implementing is a platform called effectivism. Effectivism is not activism, but it is advocacy. And what it involves is us helping you write emails to your local MP, wherever you are in Australia, to uh, re make representations on a particular campaign that we will be focusing on. We're going to launch a campaign here in Queensland to help uh, Queensland residents talk to their local MP over the next 12 months leading up to the next Queensland election. Uh, we'll bring this up from time to time uh, and there will be other 
issues as well coming up to that election that uh, we will help you make your voice heard on. And we will particularly help you if you are in one of the swinging seats where MPs are going to care twice as much about what their residents and voters have to say in the next election. Uh, you can find the shortcut to sign up for that help and, and that campaign platform, uh, Effectivism, at effectivism.com.au. That'll take you to a page on the Church and State website where you will leave us your details, especially your postcode, so we can uh, contact you if you live in one of those particular electorates. And we'll let you know when uh, there is something strategic and effective that you can do. Uh, you shouldn't stop doing all the other things that you might do, like petitions, uh, but the, uh, the effectivism campaign is designed to multiply the effectiveness of your voice and to support you when you don't know what to say or who to contact. Uh, and also, uh, if you are in South Australia, we're going to be launching a campaign there in exactly four weeks' time when we have the Church and State Conference in Adelaide. We've got Michelle Pierce from ACL. We've got Senator Alex Antic. We've got Sarah Game from One Nation. And we've got a whole host of uh, people that you love to hear from, Stephen Shavura, James McPherson, as well as some more surprise guest speakers. So head to churchandstate.com.au if you would like to sign up for Effectivism or if you'd like to register for the tickets at Church and State Adelaide. I'm talking with uh, member for Traeger in Queensland, Robbie Catter, who has this week with his party launched a policy about uh, remote relocation sentencing. Uh, and uh, relocation sentencing is a solution to help tackle the youth crime crisis that is uh, bad across the nation, but worst of all in Queensland. The four main features of this policy is that children are taken out of the area where they are getting the worst influences on their criminal behaviour uh, and probably dangerous home situations as well, and they are moved remotely. So the first part of the feature is the uh, sentence has to be in a remote, remote location. Uh, second, it has to be mandatory that uh, we actually do these things where there are children who are repeat offenders uh, and not learning the first time they've been brought before a magistrate, uh, then maybe on their second or third appearance, uh, the policy or the law would be, uh, well, son, you have to go and spend 12 months out bush, and uh, we're going to see if we can't teach you to be a good citizen. This isn't necessarily about locking them up and putting them behind iron bars. These are kids who have had a lot of negative formation, but the years of formation aren't necessarily over. It's probably the last chance. Uh, before they're 18 years old, to actually get them with some good mentors and a long period of uh, character development for them. Uh, it is for a fixed term. Uh, the feature I've seen is that it's for 12 months, uh, but there is an assessment at six months that uh, might show some, some early uh, graduation, if you like. Uh, and the fourth thing is that it has to be intensely rehabilitative. It's not just uh, set and forget, uh, throw them uh, away and lock away the key. It's actually looking for good outcomes for these kids to change behaviours, to 
to deal with uh, traumas that have happened in their lives, to teach them life skills, practical training and uh, education. I, for the life of me, can't think why the Labor government, who has been uh, dominating the parliament in Queensland for so many decades, uh, but for one or two brief flash in the pans where they were in opposition, uh, I don't, can't think why they have a problem with this. Uh, what exactly are the arguments they are raising and saying is a problem with uh, relocation sentencing? Why haven't they grabbed it? Uh, you know, the obvious answer to jump to is it's not their idea. And um, I think there's probably an element of ego in there. I think probably the next best answer is that you've got government departments paid a lot of money. They've got all the degrees behind them. And they didn't come up with this answer and they spent the last five years feeding the government lines to demonstrate how crime's not actually a problem and that it was a media beat up. Um, I think as recent as maybe six months ago, I mean, um, there was one of the Labor MPs in the media just recently still saying it, um, but you had all their staffers and um, the Premier and her team all up until about six, 12 months ago saying, you know, it's a beat up, it's not as bad as you think, we're getting on top of this. Um, and the departments were all complicit in that, and now they're going to have to say, actually, yeah, we were wrong, and we were um, we weren't informing you um, honestly. And now, and then they've got to come up with some answers on top of that. So, someone coming from the outside giving answers, uh, you can imagine the amount of pushback they're going to give because their reputations and perhaps even their jobs rely on it. So you've got all that, all the um, all that infrastructure of um, you know public servants in behind up against you and it's new and correct it requires them to think and make a decision because it's not going to come for the department and I think they're very bad at that they don't have the maturity or maybe the life experience as a government to sort of say this makes sense we're willing mm -hmm. to back it they're probably the best reasons I'd say why they haven't and um you know, to top it off, apathy and lazy. Um, it, it would take effort to do it all. So I think it's a combination of all those things. So. Are they yet at the point? I, I would hope that the evidence is now incontrovertible, that the status quo is an abject failure and something urgently has to be done, something innovative and something uh, not simply a variation on themes tried before. Uh, is the government at the point where they're facing this head on and agreeing with the reality of the severity of the problem? Well, I, I think the beautiful irony is that they've tripped over their own uh, wokey values is that they've, in trying to kiss and cuddle them back into good behaviour without boundaries, they've um, they've been forced to act in another way. So they've, they've filled up the youth detention centres. It's... Uh, and the, the solution they're saying for that is to spend another uh, half a billion dollars, 500 million, on building more of the same youth detention centres that offer 95% recidivism. So that's been their solution to date. Now they've filled up the watch houses <laughs> trying to apprehend kids. So now they've got all the civil libertarians and all the wokies saying, get these, you're breaching human rights, and you add the Greens, and I might add the LNP, both saying that you can't have this kids in watch houses. And so, well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's better than having them on the streets, <laughs> having them in the white houses, but quite right. 
uh, they're scared of now they've it's doubled back on them uh, this so now that all the wokies are say, attacking labor saying you need to do something with these kids and they're not prepared to dumb back on the streets and and carry the political risk to do that and have the backbench revolt of all these labor MPs in regional areas are getting smashed so they need a solution and um so I, I don't think it's because they've come to their senses and think actually this did make a lot of sense they're just desperate for a solution and um thankfully mercifully i think there's a solution on the table that's really practical and, and actually does take us in the right direction so none of it's from good judgment or good and perhaps not even good uh selling from us i think it's just been a convenient um, set of circumstances that we find ourselves in, and I, I find a bit of comfort in the fact that the um, you know the wokey agendas sort of force them back on themselves to do something decent. It is uh, imploding all around them. Uh, look, I I love the idea of prison farms for for people rather than putting them in institutionals and and uh, making them criminal schools on how to be more criminal than when they went in. Um, I, I love the idea of putting minimum security prison farms out there, giving people the dignity of work, fresh air, removing them. Uh, and I'm even talking about adult prison populations. Uh, I, I think it's very uplifting and empowering and, and dignifying. And I, I don't want life for people who've broken the law and, and become uh, toxic to society or dysfunctional in society to to be given a, a cushy couch and you know pay TV, internet, and access to you know all all the uh, illicit supplies of of an urban community, but you know to to give these people this opportunity at genuine rehabilitation uh, is fantastic. I, I think the need is, and I'm sure you agree. Uh, you know, it's not bleeding heart to have compassion for these kids and and say through bad decisions or bad circumstances or a combination, uh, they've had a really bad start to life. Um, what can we do to change the direction of their course? I, I think that's a responsibility uh, that we should at least ask the question, what can we do? And, and try and come up with a constructive answer. So tell me what life on the farm looks like. How far away are they from the nearest uh, Maccas or supermarket? Um, what's stopping them going for a long walk? Are we talking, uh, you know, 12 metre fences with razor wire? And uh, what do they do when they're there? What does it look like? And what will they do for six to 12 months? Yeah, good one, uh, Dave. If I can go back and not answer your question for a second, just comment um, on a couple of things you've touched on already that I think are really important before we advance anymore. But just I think so many issues, um, and I probably deal a lot more in Aboriginal issues than most other MPs. It's very, very heavy. Like I said, 99.9% .9 of the youth offenders here, Aboriginal kids. But, um, so I do focus on that area a lot. But... Everyone tries to complicate. I don't, to, I don't want to gloss or glaze over that. Uh, what you just said needs to be said again. 99.9% of the recidivist, that's repeat offenders in Mount Isa, are from Aboriginal ancestry. Yep. Now, if you think they're different breed of people, a different, you know, a different species, which I don't, if you do, and which I think a lot of these lefties and wokies do say they're different you know it's cultural then you'll end up trying to solve the wrong problem because my view is um it's not because they're aboriginal or because they're black anything that's got nothing to do with it it's because the family is dysfunctional and you know it's a lot of alcoholism they don't have jobs uh they're kicked off the cattle stations 20 or 30 years ago in the gough whitlam 
uh, railway workers all lost their jobs with privatisation out here. The road crews all got privatised, so a lot of them um, no longer continue. And a lot of the, a lot of the workplace accreditation and stuff sort of moved in where they were. Um, it was all that sort of shift into the modern economy where they were displaced um, from employment. That's one of the biggest contributors out here. It's got nothing to do with culture, if you ask me. And but all these academics and wokies from the city are saying, no, no, you've got to, you don't understand, Rob. There's all this cultural element. I think no, no, no. Don't get away from the fact this is a broken family. You fix the family, get the parents into meaningful work, give that kid a future, some vocational training. This is easily fixed, and I've seen it. I've seen these kids work out, Dave, with my own two eyes. There's nothing complicated about it. He needs some purpose, direction, discipline in his life. And that's difficult to offer some of these kids because some of their extended family is completely dysfunctional um, for whatever reason. So that's where I keep focused on. You know, when they talk about the voice or this treaty and all this other rubbish, I just, that that really distracts us from the fact that all we're trying to do here is give that kid purpose in life, give the parents purpose in life. If we keep focused on that, there's some very easy solutions to this. But um, that's why I get so annoyed when the whole conversation get disrupted and, and taken down this other path of all these um, nebulous... I don't think I've heard anybody say the solution is easy before. Yeah, well, I, you know, if you focus on those things, it, it, it becomes so patently clear how and how quickly you can turn this stuff around. But we're still a long way from that. So um, it is not as easy as it, as it sounds, but it certainly um, is easy to conceive and, and picture. But to answer your question... Um, this is the beauty of, of this sort of thing. Like I, I go back to the example of the school, um, there's mining camps. I know there's a mining camp becoming available, uh, they're saying, in the next few years out here. Um, and mining camps are a heap of dongers. You've got a cafe, you know, canteen, the laundry, the bathrooms, the shared ablutions, houses. Now, that's what uh, a lot of miners on 150 grand a year, 100 grand a year are living in quite happily. And, um, you know, so all the civil libertarians, they can't get cranky like, and that's cheap to provide that sort of thing. You don't need fences out in a remote area. If you put them out near Indangi, say, that's, um, you know, right out near the Northern Territory border, about 150 kilometres, 200 kilometres southwest of where I'm talking to you from now, from Mount Isa, right out in the middle of nowhere, those kids aren't thinking about escaping. And the closer you are to civilization, the more they're thinking about escaping and getting back and stealing the car and um, making mischief. But the further you take them, the less they're going to be thinking about that and then more likely they are to think about the vocational training you're going to put in front of them or the school or education you're going to be put in front of them. So that's the beauty of it. You don't need razor wire fence. You don't need 100 security guards. If you break it down to small numbers and remote locations, you'll need minimum um, people, the right sort of people. And um, I think the other trap is, you know, you want to try and bring people in with lived experience who don't always get the blue card because they've got, you know, some uh, violent offence in their past or... Um, you know, a lot of the best worst social workers we've got here in Mount Isa don't have the qualifications, but they've got the buy-in with these kids and the respect and that sort of thing. So that would be in a perfect world the sort of people you could procure. But the government loves sending their, you know, their own people out to these things and um, most of the time messing it up. So it would be remote camps and the further the better and the more remote the better. And uh, they'd have, you know, vocational training. So you'd have a visiting, you know, always rural work's pretty good because there's a lot of rural jobs these people out on the back end of it but um you know a lot of these kids parents and uncles would work from time to time for the shire council on the road crews so you would learn to drive a grader machinery civil contracting that's a very real pathway for people 
and and um, you know profitable uh, pathway. I know, I know I've got um, oh I'd say Aboriginal friends out here that have started civil constructing um, civil uh, contracting businesses. Um, had them actually one bloke in Cloncurry died the other day. It was about fifty years he had machinery there in Cloncurry. So you know they're viable pathways for people. They can see uh, that they can engage in that sort of workspace. Um, I think we get it wrong sometimes when they all say you can be Jonathan Thurston or you can be a sports star or a movie star. Like, how about you pitch something real to these kids that they can see? You know, it's it's um, you know, it's not too many of us. Any of us are going to be sports stars, but heaps of us are going to end up on the graders, the loaders. And the mine jobs, whether you're black, white, or brindle, so um, that's a very viable pathway, and that's the sort of um, skills. And there's a lot of that we already do out here. And if I could just end by saying, and that's not poorly paid work. That's right. And if I could end by saying, we actually have a template of sorts of this. Uh, a guy called Colin Saltme is out here at um, Camelwheels, about five k's out of town, which is right out near the Northern Territory border. And uh, Colin Saltme, uh, he took over a road, a main roads camp. Uh, that the government just gave him because they were probably just going to tear it down or let it rack and ruin. And he started um, occupying that. He started getting road crew contracts um, with the, um, you know, with the Aboriginal content required and some of the stuff. He he was he got his foot in the door, but now he's a viable civil contractor, road contractor. He sets up training pathways for adult, oh, well, Aboriginal female and male, and. Um, He's a he's one a roaring success story, and I've had ministers. I've taken a number of ministers up there to say, and one of them said to me, "That's the best thing I've seen in Australia of, of um, training. It's highly disciplined. You know, zero tolerance to alcohol. He's um, tough love there, Colin Saltmere, and um, and uh, he's done that. He's done what we're talking about precisely with adults, and he's churning out uh, mining employees, road contractors, whatever out of there. So that's that's the model." Um, but what program do you bolt onto it? Um, that's probably open to a bit more, bit more work. It's uh, oozing common sense that uh, you would think uh, politicians and parliaments would grab a hold of with both hands. Uh, I, I, yeah, look, I, I think this is uh, an idea whose time has come, uh, and right before an election, right after people's. Uh, tolerances for failure have uh, reached their their maximum. Um, I, I think this is the yeah the idea uh, has has um, its time has come. But tell me what's the reception been like from the non Labor members of Parliament in Queensland? Uh, ambivalence at this point, and um, I just like to think I'd like to think that's you know um, there'll be. There'll be a good pathway for um, an alternate government. I, you know, um, there's no evidence that now, but um, I just common sense has got to come to the fore at some point. And how um, how can David Crisafulli not be grabbing onto this and saying, "Love it, Robbie. We'll work with you. Um, you know, align with us to form a government, and we will make it happen. Um, whether we need your numbers or not, this is fantastic. We're going to run with it. Thank you." I mean, just yeah. surely that would be an electable opposition leader. <clears throat> I think so. And, and to his credit, um, Dave said we'd prepared to look at everything, which is a pretty strong signal that you know, uh, one of, I think one of the um, one of his members sort of ran at the media and said, "With you know, it's rubbish. We wouldn't look at that." But um, Dave is a lot smarter than that and said, um, "We we will uh, we'd look at anything, and I'll take mm. that as a." 
uh, it's better than a no. And I'll take that as a pretty strong incentive to keep going, uh, positive side. Yeah. So I don't know what would be stopping. I, I don't know what would be holding them back at this point. I, maybe it's a play it safe sort of small target strategy um, that they want to take down Labor with. And I, yep. I, I don't want to be too critical. Um, I just, yeah, I just... We just want the outcome, Dave, and um, I think it's I think it's a really good viable option. It's not going to be perfect, and it will have there'll be failures built into it as well. But it's better than any other option, and it's well. The worst case scenario is it fails completely, and we get the results that we're already getting, which are about as bad a result as you can get with incredibly high recidivism. Uh, And so there's literally nothing to lose by by giving well, this a crack it's yeah. not a waste of money and you can't get worse results yeah i was talking to a um a mayor the other day that said i don't support this rub because you know you need to wrap these supports which is sort of the civil libertarians line you need to keep these kids close to the supports where they can you know help them rehabilitate and I, to which i responded that they're not getting that now like they're not whether they're available exactly. or not they're usually not available in mount isa but yeah. if they are available they're not <clears> engaging <throat> with the kids so that's not happening, yep. so it may as well not happen out bush, because yep. at least out bush they can't re- go back to the resi care at night and steal your car. <laughs> so, that's right. like you yep. said, even if there's veils and we're not rehabilitating, it's at least they're not back on the street stealing your car the next night. Yeah, look, I, I can't help but think for most of these kids, the best thing would be to never go home, uh, to do, uh, you know, six months, twelve months out bush and find an employment path and a career path that leads them away from. Uh, being back home for long periods of time for the next five years. They get employment somewhere. They go straight from this, let's call it a vocation program, detention vocation training, uh, and and then they go straight into a job. Uh, they start making money. They start earning dignity. Uh, they get educated. Uh, I, you know, we, we need to wrap up, but I, I see the uh, comparative uh, programs in Missouri uh, have uh, kids learning as fast as, every other kid in mainstream schooling and graduating high school at at really high rates. I mean, employment skills, education, uh, breaking the cycles and and the support structures for criminal behaviour, these seem like incredibly important elements in in changing the outcomes uh, that we're we're currently getting. Uh, Where can people go to find out more about this uh, policy from uh, Catters Australia Party? Robbie? Yeah, just on the KOP website um, is is the best place for that um, or in our social media. And Dave, so um, that's that's the best we've come up with that uh, we understand, you know, the government will try and usually do their best to stuff it all up. <laughs> and uh, we know we haven't got all the answers or, you know, precisely, uh, you know, we're trying to work through more detail since the announcement, but... Um, that's the best we could come up with, and and we're going to try and refine that in in time as well, and we'll be um, pushing that very hard in the government for the next few weeks because I think the time is right for um, a change in their approach. I think there's there's too much uh, political pressure. I think they're ready to break on this. If you would like to write an email with our help to your local MP to encourage them to embrace this policy with both hands or something else if they want to put their own name on it. But this relocation sentencing and detention for juveniles is, I think, a stroke of uh, genius in its common sense. Uh, So we would like to help you with that. Head to effectivism, 
queenslandresident.com.au and uh, we will help you, if you're a Queensland resident, to write an email uh, to your local MP uh, in your own words uh, with uh, a communication that's going to have a high chance of being effective and influential as they are staring down the barrel of a coming election in Queensland. Uh, for more information about this policy and Catter's Australia Party, head to kap.org.au. And uh, to sign up for the newsletters of this weekly show and other great articles from leading right thinkers in Australia, head to davepello.com. And if you're in Adelaide, we are just four weeks away from a massive conference in Adelaide. Uh, it's going to be really awesome with Senator Alex Antic, Michelle Pierce from ACL, Sarah Game, uh, South Australia's only One Nation uh, Member of Parliament, uh, and many others, including Stephen Shavira and James McPherson in Adelaide. Uh, four weeks from now, uh, head to churchandstate.com.au to um, see the events that are coming soon uh, to a city near you, and Adelaide is the next one. That's it for this episode of the Church and State Show. Robbie Catter, thank you so much for all of your generous amount of time today. Thank you, Dave. I, I wish I'd been the person to come up with effectivism. I, I love it. <laughs> you can use it. Uh, we want to do good things and you've got a good idea here. So uh, for the sake of Queenslanders, uh, we're behind you on this one. Uh, I'm Dave Pello. This is the Church and State Show. God bless Australia and you. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.